Welcome to the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast from Nashville, Tennessee. I am your host, John Martin Keith. Celebrities, working class musicians, and people who work behind the scenes in all areas of the music industry will share their stories, encourage you, and give practical advice of ways you can make a living doing what you love in the music industry. This episode is brought to you by Edenbrook Productions. Edenbrook Productions is the company I founded to help musicians grow in their craft. Are you a songwriter, but maybe you've been told your songs aren't quite there yet? Or are your songs ready, but you don't feel stage ready? Or maybe music is your passion, but you feel imprisoned by your day job and you don't know what to do next to make your dream a reality. Well, Edenbrook Productions is here to help. We offer consulting services via phone call, Skype, and FaceTime. And for the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast listeners, we're offering an introductory one-hour consultation special. Click on the link in the show notes to contact me, and let's get you making a living in the music industry. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for being with me today. This week is the end of Season 10. Thank you guys so much for sticking around for another amazing season. It has been such a wonderful wonderful thing to get to be a part of your lives and have you guys be a part of mine and these conversations that we have with all these amazing guests. Thank you so much for coming and being a part of it. It's a true, true honor that you've been with me and I pray that you will continue to go back and check out the old episodes from previous seasons and come back for season five, which will be coming up in no time. So all that said, today I'm going to end season 10 with a conversation with recording artist, producer, and songwriter Galen Crew here in Nashville. Galen's music is known for its dreamlike quality, which often features deep yet whimsical themes and seems to emanate from a different world. He is a huge fan of Tolkien, C.S. Lewis, and other fantasy writers, and if you imagine the mysterious Grimm Brothers fairy tale collections being somehow transformed into modern pop songs, you'll start to get an idea of the imagery, depth, and layers within Galen's music. Although he's an American artist, Galen's music went viral in China a few years ago, and he's become a major pop star in that country. We are discussing writing music more like fairy tales and mainstream music, working with legendary songwriter Roger Cook, and building a huge fan base and touring in China as an independent artist. I hope you guys enjoy our conversation today, and get your pen and paper and get ready to take lots of great notes. Hey guys, I am sitting here talking with Galen Crew in Nashville, Tennessee. How are you doing today, sir? Doing awesome. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you for letting me come over to your studio. This is super cool. It's uh, You explained it to me before we started recording, and, and tell me again for the audience to kind of put a, a picture in their head of what this place looks like. It's a little bit like an English study, so I have like old maps on the walls and different, you know, kind of... The fireplace. Yeah, there's a fireplace and old books from the sort of the Revolutionary War era and an old clock and some pipes. So a little bit of that C.S. Lewis Tolkien. Yeah. So it's because it's a little bit like an English study, I call it the studio. The studio. That's great. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I love what you've done with the studio. And I love that in Nashville, you know, I guess kind of everywhere nowadays that we have home studios. You know, you don't have to be in a giant recording studio down on Music Row or, you know, in, in L.A. or whatever so much these days. And you can make an amazing album that has hit songs on the radio and that kind of stuff. And we can just kind of build our own studios at home and um, be really creative and do a lot, you know. And it's very just very at-home feeling 
you know, it's just a great, a great thing. So um, I love this and thanks for letting me come over. So you and I got connected by a mutual friend named Philip Peters, who has been a guest on this show uh, in the first season. He was on the show and we had a great conversation and uh, we got finished. I always ask my guests, you know, hey, can you refer two or three people to be on the show that you think would be a great guest on the show? And he immediately said you. And um, it took us a couple of years to, to finally get connected yeah. for whatever reason, but I'm glad we finally got to do it. So thanks yeah. for, oh, for being too. on the show. Oh, absolutely. Um, you had a really unique story about kind of the successes that you've had in music. And so I want to get into that. But um, but first of all, tell us who you are, where you're from, what kind of got you into the music world to begin with, and we'll just kind of go from there. Yeah. So um, I was born in Ocean City, New Jersey. And uh, my parents moved us down to Franklin, Tennessee in 98. And so I was still a kid. So I really grew up in Franklin. I don't have um, a lot of... It was early childhood years in New Jersey, but I feel like a, a Franklin kid, yeah. you yeah. know? Um, but I, yeah, I, I went to all the the schools in, in Franklin and started um, kind of becoming interested in music. You know, being around... Christian music had a big impact on me. Sure. Uh, just being around the CCM world. And I got to meet like the guys in DC talk when I was an 11 year old kid. Yeah. And that was big for me. Sure. You know, so I, I was always around that and, and feeling inspired by that. And I think that did push me a little bit to become interested in music myself. Um, but I was, it was around 11 or 12 when I started, you know, picking up a guitar and just becoming interested really in the writing. Cause I had played the like, clarinet before that. And it was just, yeah, it was a little, um, it was, I, I had the uh, natural ability, a natural affinity for for music, but the guitar was what opened up the the writing part of it for me, which was that was what what made me interested, realizing it was the creativity and the outlet that I was interested in music being being that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I was pretty young when I started actually writing songs. But that was really the genesis of my own musical journey, and um, I haven't really looked back. So, um, when you moved down here and you got into music, what was it that that made you start wanting to write songs? Yeah, you know, the honest answer is um, when my parents got divorced. Okay. Because it was, uh, you know, obviously a negative thing, but I was looking for an emotional outlet, and the guitar was that. I'd come home from school and play guitar. Yeah. Know? And, uh, and, so, so and some of those the first songs I wrote were were a lot of that like me processing what was happening to me and feeling like you know my world was kind of crashing a little bit and sure. just looking looking for a way to express that that was healthy which in hindsight was pretty good you know a pretty good outlet just yeah. to channel that through music um, but even at the, even though negative circumstances brought brought that out of me I was always interested in the the hopeful sort of redemptive side of using music you know it wasn't like i was writing songs that were total total downers and just it wasn't a woe is me thing it was more like processing what i was feeling and believing it's it's going to get better and trying to communicate a sense of of hope and sure. like, you know optimism through it and um that has I, that was you know something that was in its early raw stages when i was going through that as a kid, but I still have the same motivations now. Mm -hmm. You know, I can honestly say that, um, just using it to encourage people using music as a tool. 
And so therein lies like the real motivation, I guess, is the the impact, the deeper impact mm-hmm. that you that you that like I would say I crave to experience. And music is my vehicle to to exper- to do that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I know that you had played in some different bands growing up, and then at nineteen, um, that's kind of when your world started opening up a little bit more to start doing some different things. Tell us a little bit about yeah. what kind of what, where that, that age things kind of kicked in for you and sent you off on as a solo artist, really. Yeah, no, that's, that's exactly right. So I was playing in a band with a couple of my buddies in college and we almost signed to Disney. Uh, so really, Dis- yeah, Disney was like flying us out to LA and this was when the, the Jonas brothers were kind of at their peak yeah. and Disney was looking for like, a follow-up kind of a band a similar thing but slightly different they were going to launch it through a movie and we got caught up in all that and it was exciting it was my first serious brush with the music industry Mm -hmm. i guess you could say um but through that process i realized we wouldn't have had any say in the the writing it was like you know sing these songs and you're gonna do this and that showed me that i'm not just interested in being in a band or you know um being in the music industry in these different ways where it's where it's like more geared towards fame i guess sure i was interested in in the creative part okay let's i want to back up for a second and, t- and let's talk about this because listeners that are wanting to be artists and get signed maybe they're in a band or a, or a solo artist whatever and they want to get signed and you know they would love to be on disney right yeah so um on their label so can you explain how Disney found out about you? You found out about Disney. Like, how did that relationship come about for them to even offer you um, to sign you? Yeah. So the the lead singer of that band I was in, I actually wasn't the lead guy, which I'll get to that in a second. Sure. Well, I was kind of the guitarist BGV guy yeah. in that band. And um, the lead singer had a connection who was, he's one of the biggest songwriters for Disney. Um so this guy in LA has written some of like the, you know, worked with the top artists in correlation with Disney and written some of the biggest songs in their movies and stuff. And so that guy was coming back and forth to Nashville and LA and knew my friend, uh, Josh Castle, who was the lead singer of our band. Okay. And, um, so that, that was the connection and, and, um, it was all, it was really cool. Um, you know, getting flown out to L.A. and meeting all these, you know, A&R guys who've worked with Michael Jackson and, like, you know, big-time stuff. Sure. It was cool, like, having meetings in their mansions and them saying, you know, we're going to put you on tour with so-and-so if this goes well. And we're like, wow, you know, yeah. this is crazy. Um, at the same time, I, I had a little bit of that feeling of, like, this is cool, but is it is it something that's going to last? Is this really what I want? You know, um, even as, I guess at that time I was 18, even at that time I was starting to ask those questions like, is this, is this the long-term vision that I want to pursue? And I had a little bit of doubts and, and, and you're right. I mean, a lot of people that would be, you know, would find themselves in those opportunities wouldn't really think twice about them. And it wasn't like, oh, I don't want to do this. It just more had that quiet feeling of, I'm not sure this is the the real goal for me, it, the fame part. Yeah. Um, and th- and this was a quick door to that. It was, it was like, if you want to be famous, this is, this is it. You yeah. Know? Um, and so, yeah, I realized 
actually quit that band after about a year. Okay. Um, just realizing, I think, I think what I want is to write my own songs and, and sing them. Um, and it was a little scary for me, um, cause I wasn't the lead singer guy. I didn't feel like I had a great voice and I've always struggled a little bit with just self-confidence, uh, vocally. Mm-hmm. So I, I had, I've always had a lot more confidence on the writing side, um, just playing musicianship, producing, but the vocal delivery, being the guy that yeah. was steering the ship oh, sure. live, that was so intimidating to me. Um, and so I, but I really felt like it was a calling, like, like God was saying, God was directing me towards a different path. It was a little bit of that, like Moses thing, like, Hey, I want you to go do this. And I was like, and you know, Moses is like, I sure. can't, I'm not good at speaking. Right. It was like me. I was like, I'm not that good of a singer, you know? Um, but I, I knew I wanted to write songs that had a little more substance than the kind of material I was writing in that, in that band. So yeah. that's the, the decision I made. Okay. Um, let, let me ask you this one thing about that about that band. How long, when you guys were were talking with Disney, um, how long did that whole thing sort of play out before did they did they ever did the band ever get signed? Did they Disney just say decide they're not going to do it? Did you guys decide we're not going to do it? Like how long did that whole thing sort of play out before a final decision was made either way? Yeah, so it, it was all it was all sort of contingent on this movie launch. Okay. And that got, it kept getting pushed back. It was like in a stage of script rewrites while they were developing us to sort of line them up. I see. And the more it got pushed back, the more it seemed like, I guess this is all dependent on this. This movie. This movie coming yeah. together. It's just, a, it's a, it's, it felt like we were on this hinge of like, uh, I don't, I don't know. Do we need to drop out of school to do this? Do we stay in school? It was that kind of feeling. Sure. Um, and so it, the longer that uncertainty went on, the more I started feeling like, I'm not sure I want to live waiting yeah. for this to, to come about. Yeah. It's and a scary thing. It is. Yeah. 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 The, the lack of control, um, over your own, sort of path uh, mm-hmm. was a little disconcerting for yeah. me but yeah when it's, especially when it's writing on a movie not on a music career necessarily right, yeah, right? absolutely it's got like this whole other contingency that's that it's stuck to yeah um, that's interesting um, okay so then you go out on your own and you're writing and then you met you met a really big songwriter that had been very successful tell us who that is and kind of how did that relationship come about because I was very when I read your bio and saw that I was like I want to teach the world to sing. That's yeah. the song. I was like, "You were, wait, what? Tell me, tell me about this." Yeah, this, this is one of my favorite stories. So, when I first started stepping out as a solo artist, it was it was scrappy. I mean, my songs weren't that good. I was learning how to sing, you know, in my own voice, and it was weird. Um, but I had put together a few demos, like of just original songs, and that was what I was kind of showing people to just get feedback, you know? And so I'm 19 and my granddad, um, he's no longer with us, but my granddad was a, uh, jazz musician. He lived in Manhattan. And so he would fly back to, you know, Nashville and New York city to come visit family. And one time on a flight from New York to Nashville, he sat next to Roger Cook, who is one of the biggest songwriters of all time. I mean, the guy really is a legend. Um, 
He's British. I think he's the only British songwriter in the Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame. I, th- okay. I think that might be the case. Um, he's had a ridiculous amount of number ones. He wrote, I'd like to teach the world to sing. Just just crazy. Um, and so Roger and my granddad are, are sat next to each other on this flight. And they just, I mean, they're about the same age. They They just totally hit it off. They're both goofy. It was like, it was immediate, you know, just friendship and so as they're kind of talking during this flight at one point my granddad says hey you know i've got a grandson in nashville who's you know he's he's pretty talented he's a young musician just kind of breaking it in you should you should meet him i think that'd be really cool and roger has told me this story many times and he he told me at this point he was kind of internally it's like oh oh, you know like oh here we go i've heard this before yeah exactly (laughs) and um but something about my granddad's word, even from that, that conversation they were having on this flight, Roger had enough of a sense of trust that yeah. this guy probably wasn't leading him terribly far astray. You know? sure. And so Roger, the next day, he showed up to my house. And I was still wow. living with my parents. You know, I was, It was like, I think, a summer in between semesters. You know? And uh, Roger came over my house. It was. I remember. Just showed up. Yeah. Well, it was like my granddad said, "Hey, this guy. I I sat next to this guy, Roger Cook, on a flight, and I think he's gonna come over to meet you." Okay. And he was like, "Why don't you Google him?" Okay. And so I googled him, and I was like, "Wow, nice. Oh my goodness." And so, in my position, this was the first time that, as a nineteen-year-old kid just stepping out as a solo artist, that I feel like somebody had been coming to to meet me. It wasn't in connection with the band. It was so early, so it was a big thing for. I was really excited to meet him. And, yeah. Um, so he came over, and he's the nicest guy ever. Roger is. I can't say enough good things about him. He and he's known for um, taking interest in younger musicians. He's really great about that. It's something I admire, and he has great instincts too. So he'll he, he doesn't necessarily look for people's credentials. You know, he'll he'll just dive in and see what if they have sure. talent, and and so. Um, I gave him those demos when he came over. It was like a CD of three or four songs, demos that I had pretty much done on my own or, you know, not that great quality, but he took it and he said, all right, I'll listen and I'll be in touch, you know? And I think it was within a few days he called me and he said, Hey, you know, I've been listening to your demos and there's, there's something there. I, I hear something there. And would you like to write? And I was like, Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes, please. <laughs> and um, so he invited me over his house, and we started writing. And this has turned into the most fruitful uh, collaboration and friendship of my whole life. Yeah. I mean, this guy. So just so people understand, he's older. He he's I think he's eighty one now. Okay. Um. He has worked with, you know, Paul McCartney and he, he came out of England in the sixties when that whole, that, you know, so that's, that's where he comes from. And he's been successful in so many ways in every decade since then. And so when we get together, I feel, I've always been a big fan of like the Beatles and, and, um, I've, I feel this, this really cool intergenerational, um, like connection that happens when even though our age is so different, he's the same age as my granddad was, you know, but we, we feel like peers when we sit down to write and he is in, his mind is incredible. Like he's so prolific and sharp 
really cool. I hope I'm like that yeah. at, at his age. But when we sit down to write, it the age gap doesn't. Um, it's it's almost like it disappears, and it just feels like we're creative peers, and we can go to places creatively that I can't go with anyone else. Um, and sometimes we get a little too far out there and kind of have to reel it back in. But for my own artist journey, he has been my my richest collaborator. We've written hundreds of songs together. We started writing in, I guess, around 2010, and we write every month now, and it's 2022. Yeah. I mean, it's a constant thing. Um, my new album that I'm working on right now, it's about a dozen songs, and he's co-written every single one of them with me. Um, so that was a big moment in my own journey of meeting Roger Cook and getting to write with Roger Cook, and, and um, it's opened up a lot of doors. The biggest one uh, is probably a song we wrote called Sleepyhead, um, which was it was a fairy tale, basically. We, mm-hmm. we sit down and we love to write original fairy tales. It's kind of one of our yeah. favorite things to do. And I wrote this one with Roger and put it out as kind of like an acoustic... Um, acoustic master really it was like a, it was like an album of acoustic demos and then we mastered it and put it out as an album uh and that album is called acoustic daydreams and i put it out indie budget no team no marketing no, no help you know and after a few years um i found out that sleepyhead had gone viral in china which was the most random thing yeah and um yeah but that was one of our our, you know, Roger and I, our collaboration, just us having fun. And it's not a cool song. It's not one of those songs where you listen to it and you're like, wow, this is really, you're really cutting edge stuff here. Yeah. It's, it's not. It's a very humble recording and kind of unassuming. Um, but for whatever reason, it, it, it struck a chord in, in China and they love the, I guess, like the myths and legends. They'll sit there and analyze the lyrics and the story is a cliffhanger, which, I think really helped. But the crazy thing crazy thing was I didn't know that this was happening for like a couple of years. I started getting contacted by Chinese teenagers who and for people that don't know there's like a a wall between our internets. So Chinese teenagers like they can't get on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, right. Spotify. Those are all blocked. Yeah. But they have their own Chinese platforms. So somebody had stolen my music and uploaded it like you know to these chinese platforms without my knowledge okay and then that song and then subsequently some of my other songs had gone viral but i didn't know i wasn't getting paid i wasn't seeing an uptick in followers on my u.s social media so it was like it wasn't happening it wasn't affecting my life at all but then some of them we're getting VPNs. The Chinese teenagers would get like VPNs and find me on Instagram. They'd be like, is this the real Galen crew? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> you know, and they were like, well, did you know that your song has more plays than Justin Bieber on this Chinese <laughs> really? website? Wow. That's awesome. And I, I thought it was a joke. Yeah. I was, cause I was just, I mean, in me, indie artist guy in Nashville, I'm not, it was nothing glam about my life. Sure. And, and so I thought it was not real. I was like, I have no grid for this. And it wasn't until somebody sent me a link. And then I looked at it, it was millions of plays. And, and I was like, why, why am I not getting paid? You know? Yeah. <laughs> so it was like this mixed feeling of, you know, the excitement when you see the numbers and then sort of 
disappointment. Where, yeah. It's like, oh, <laughs> just man. like, wow. Oh, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. And um, and so I was like, well, I gotta figure this out. What's going on? And um, I started. I had a friend who um, named Bob Kilpatrick, who he was in California, and he had been to China with my good friend Phil Joel. Phil Joel, know you, know Phil. you know Phil. I know Phil. Such a good guy. Yep. Love Phil. And um, so, yeah, I had, I know I'm kind of moving fast. No, here you're good. The, Go for it. But yeah, I, I, um, Bob Kilpatrick was like, well, something's happening here. Like, let's, let's go to China. Let's, let's show up and I don't know, see if we can get a better idea of what's happening. So, so explain again, I, I may have missed it, but just in case, um, what is your relationship with Bob Kilpatrick? Well, at that time it was, I just, he was a friend through Phil Joel. I had toured, I had toured with Phil Joel as an artist. Oh, um, well, let's back up to oh, that. Oh, yes. Yeah. This, <laughs> yeah, explain, explain it. Cause what I want the audience to know is I want them to hear the progression of, you know, how you're working your way up through, through the industry as all this uh, is unfolding. Yeah. So, um, yeah, before we get to the relationship with Bob, um, how do you know Joel, and how did you get the opportunity to to tour with him? Yeah, so there was a little period in there where the songs I was um, writing as an artist were... I was kind of telling these um, stories and, and, you know, using the fairy tale themes as kind of a C.S. Lewis mechanism type mechanism for right. for deeper spiritual truths. Okay. And I had some uh, opportunities arise in the Christian music industry. And so there was multiple connections that came from that. And I almost kind of went more the, the CCM route for a second, but then realized that it wasn't, it wasn't quite um, the target that I was trying to hit just because mm-hmm. just from a creative standpoint. But in that time, um, there was a number of guys I got connected to, to to just write with. And actually, I originally met Phil Joel through Roger. I was performing at a little um, a little venue in Franklin one night, just doing my solo stuff. And Roger came, and he brought Phil with him because okay. they're neighbors. Okay. And uh, that makes they sense. live on the same street. I got you. And, uh, and so he brought Phil Joel, and he knew... I, I had told Roger that I was a huge Newsboys fan growing up. Yeah. I mean, my childhood was full of yeah. Newsboys records, you know? Like, yeah. And uh, so, obviously, I was a huge fan of Phil already. Um, but then Roger brought him to one of my shows, and I remember being in the middle of the song and kind of seeing him sit at a table and I saw his long blonde hair, and I was like, I got pretty nervous. I was like, <laughs> I was like wow. Yeah. Um, and then I talked to him after, and he was like, Hey man, I love your stuff. You know, you want to write? And I was like, yes. Yes, please. Yeah, that's <laughs> yes. cool. And uh, Phil, Phil has become one of my best friends. And so after that first time writing, we started working together um, in a lot of different capacities. So he actually had me produce some of his solo stuff. Okay. Um, which was really exciting for me. I produced uh, his version of Entertaining Angels, which is, um, you know, a big Newsboys hit. We did kind of a acoustic arrangement of it, so um, that was really cool. And during that time, he he invited me on tour to open up for him. Okay. And so I was kind of, we were doing these um, just sort of weekend tours at churches and stuff mm-hmm. all around the U.S. And I was opening for Phil, 
and kind of tag teaming with him for his stuff. I'd accompany him. Okay. And um, that was a really, really cool thing. My my first legitimate touring experience really was with Phil. That's um, a that's not a small thing either as your first. <laughs> right. Your first touring is with you know somebody from the Newsboys. That's a huge. That's a huge uh, thing. So congratulations on being able to do that. You know, to say that's your first touring opportunity, you know, is with that. That's really cool. Yeah, I I got thrown in there a little bit, but Phil he he's he's awesome. I mean, he's he he was really um, just encouraging to me, mm-hmm. and and you know, just always like, hey, yeah, just just go get him. You you got it. You know. Yeah. And um, so yeah, it was a it was a big big confidence boost i think for me to be out there with phil and to to watch him and mm-hmm. learn from him just how he carried himself yeah um, what's what's um what would you say I and mean, this is just off the top of my head and putting you on the spot but what would you say is like one of the biggest things that you learned um in that moment of being out and opening up for phil joel knowing the caliber of artist that he is and being part of the newsboys and all that kind of stuff, you know, a huge, a huge CCM artist, um, you know, and you're thrown into this as an acoustic artist, right? Yeah. Um, what's like, what's one of the biggest things that you learned in that process as an artist and as a touring performer that you may not have known before that something that the audience now would be like, Oh, that's something that's valuable for me to know. Mm. Well, from Phil, I would say probably the authenticity element just authenticity mm-hmm. uh, i know that's broad but when you're touring with somebody you're hanging out with them a lot so you're you're those quiet moments when they're preparing for the show they're thinking about it to when they're actually on stage to after the show and they're interacting with hundreds of people i could see from him there it wasn't a face he was putting on like it wasn't like he switched to performance fill when we yeah. did these gigs he this was the person that he was like the the right. way he carried himself and interacted with me when we were just hanging out was the same as he would carry himself in front of a lot of people and that that authenticity thing i think it does translate um into performance it translates into the way you talk to an audience and just this the way you are um coming off to people mm-hmm. And it's it's favorable. I think if the if the authenticity is there, it makes you more likable. I think it made me like Phil. <laughs> I feel's a very likable guy, but it wasn't a face he was putting on. And so I thought that was a good. I think sometimes in music and these it's sometimes high profile settings and gigs that we're doing, there is definitely a temptation to project things. You want to project. Um, something that is how you want people to be perceived and for me as a uh, a neogram type three this is like the classic thing of caring too much how you're perceived Mm -hmm. so a big lesson for me was to to try to let go of that and just pursue uh the authenticity in in myself um and not worry about as much what are they thinking of me what am i projecting and just try to be try to get that vision of myself and the person I want to be and just be it um, regardless. Mm-hmm. That really was a, a pretty profound um, shaping that that happened in me during that time with him, I would say. That's cool. And so moving forward, the relationship with Bob Kilpatrick. So he, they're friends, right? Yeah. And so what does Bob do? Yeah, he's, he's a, a songwriter, producer, um, speaker, author. He kind of does a lot of different okay. things. and. And I, I didn't know him before this, but we got connected, and 
um, he was the guy who brought me to China for the first time. And so for a little while there, we had kind of a, a working relationship where he was helping me facilitate getting over to China because he'd done that with Phil and okay very random very very just random like hey let's kind of it was very thrown together yeah. and but fun i mean it was a total adventure yeah so we talk about this on the show a lot um that everything in this business comes back to relationships mm-hmm. and everything that you have talked about up to this point comes down to relationships and so i just can't emphasize that enough so true right you know yeah. your grandfather met roger on a plane built a relationship with him had him reach out to you you guys built a relationship, started writing together, and yeah. then you got connected with with Phil, and you know, because they had a relationship, yeah, right. And then you and Phil created one together, and then uh, now with Bob, and that's putting you over into China now, and yeah. So to go start touring, so which is such a cool thing, but I just really can't emphasize that enough. People are probably sick of hearing it, but you can't say it too many times, can you? That no, absolutely, it's it's so true. It is so true, and to remember to value those relationships, like. You know, we can be so, and I say this as somebody who's been guilty of it, just really goal-driven. Um, the relationships are are really what matters. And like you said, we, we can say it all the time, and it can even seem trite maybe to some people. But it's the truth. You know, you, you valuing people and uh, pursuing these just deep friendships with people, it, it leads to opportunities. And I don't even think we should, we should um, value our relationships because it leads to opportunities. Right. It's more like just the 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 journey is so rich because of the people yeah. that you that you meet along the way and the the adventures you get to experience with them. So, you know, it it really if you can have that shift in being less less focused on the goals and just just absolutely loving and cherishing the the people around you that you have these friendships with, um, it makes every experience just that much better. Sure. You know, when those doors do open. Sure. Uh, okay, so Bob gets you over into China to start touring because your songs have gone viral, huge over there, right? Yeah. Um, so what does that what does that look like? You, you're the first guest I've had on the show. Um, that not that not that other artists that I've that I've had on haven't toured over in China, but that your your specific focus has kind of shifted from being U.S. based to China based. We'll just say that for lack yeah. of a better term, mm-hmm. um, because because the fan base there is so huge for you. I mean, is that mm-hmm. is that a legit thing to say? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Um, so what does what does it look like to have such a huge fan base in China and to be able to tour over there so much um, as opposed to doing it here in the U.S. It's a great question and. It, it's it's a very odd um, it, it feels very strange it feels like I have two different existences two, yeah. two different li- uh, lives because it's kind of like the Hannah Montana thing like the sure like showing oh, yeah. up somewhere else just being yeah like it's a Miley or person. Hannah right yeah, right yeah it's it's like that um, so when I first went over there and there were all these people that showed up hours before my gig and knew not just the songs that had gone viral but the the deep cuts like they were singing along to all the words i had never experienced that before nothing close to it in in the u.s so i mean the best touring experience i had had was with phil but even those i'm the new artist that is trying to prove myself sure so to go somewhere else and for them already to know me and know my songs 
I never felt that before. It feels great. It feels great from a performance aspect because you're not trying to 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 prove yourself. You're not trying to sure. earn their their favor as much. Um, but that there was definitely like a mind fracture that happened in me because on that first tour, like my wife didn't go with me, and it was it it was weirdly like lonely because I just experienced this mountaintop amazing thing, but no one knew like at least my main life right. here my friends the only way anybody knew this was happening was if i told them about it i posted about it if i kind of telegraphed it, it, it that was the only way to be like hey the, this is actually happening the the divide even on the internet is that stark yeah and so could you you couldn't even post about it while you were over there could you because of the right. block yeah i would so have, have to wait until you get home from <laughs> yeah. touring yeah to let people know about or, it or i like text my wife like a picture and then she'd log into my oh, profiles and i do a little of that but yeah there was plenty of stuff i didn't post till i got home because i was because of all and that by then it's over yeah right the moments <laughs> have kind of passed and yeah yeah it, it every bit of this has been i feel like i'm it's a little bit of that lewis and clark you know, taking a machete through the woods. Like, I, I don't, this is new territory. I don't know who, if, who has modeled this that I can kind of look to. Mm-hmm. It, it de- is definitely that pioneer feeling. And I, I've learned to be a little more comfortable with the messiness of that because you can beat yourself up with that feeling of like, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, but it, it, it's fun. It's fun. And there's just a, just been a learning curve constantly with me trying to figure this out and some frustration because I mean, just to be totally transparent, um, it's it's frustrating to me that my followers over there, like, that it's not visible here. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's sure. some, from a sort of my, my flesh and my ego would love for the numbers I have in China to be visible here in the U.S. Yeah. Um, from a following standpoint, as I said, there's I, there hasn't been an, a huge uptick on the profiles where people here in Nashville or, or just in the U.S. Mm-hmm. in general go to evaluate somebody's audience and see the scale of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't see it unless you go to these Chinese sites. Now, if you go to Nettie's Music, you can see my audience there. But unless you know what that is, um, you you won't know that this is happening. Sure. And Yeah. So when you're putting out, when you're releasing new music now or over the past few years, and you, so at this point, I'm, at this point, you've created a following, and you have a fan base over there. So when you put out new music from that from that moment forward up to now, do you put music out specifically for them? Like that is that do, is that audience your main audience? And when you release music, do you specifically release it to their platforms? first over right. us because that's where your your main fan base is um y- yes okay. to an extent so now i have um a good relationship with netty's music in china so they're kind of like the sort of spotify equivalent no affiliation with spotify sure it's like their, their version of it yeah. yeah and um so uh in china um i definitely now when i create i'm being i'm mindful that really where people are going to care about this music I'm making is over there. Mm-hmm. So I've had to totally pivot like my attention on to, to be based on Chinese social media sites to, to post there more. And I, and it does factor into my material creatively. And I, sometimes I'll like, I just wrote a song in Chinese 
And really? so, and I, I had a lot of help and I'm not fluent in Chinese. I only speak a little bit, but that was totally for them. Yeah. You know, it, it wasn't, I knew people here are not going to care about that. They, you know, some people might be like, Oh, that's, that's cool. That's interesting. But mm-hmm. it was totally for them. And so, yeah, it, they have shifted to my, to be my number one, like priority as far as the, the reach and the focus. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause they're the ones that they get me, yeah. you know, they, they get what I'm trying to do artistically um, the whole, you know, using fairy tales and and symbolism and metaphor and talking about myths and legends, but mm-hmm. being a, a, a singer-songwriter who sometimes has these, you know, different sort of spiritual elements, but they're not, you know, like in your face. It's like, it's sure. just kind of anybody can listen to it. Um, that whole aesthetic, they, they get it and they're all about it. And it feels great as an artist to be validated in that way. So it's natural for you to gravitate towards the people that are receiving you so positively mm-hmm. uh, and want to just keep giving them more mm-hmm. uh, more more songs to enjoy and stuff and it's at this point it's a really special connection i i love them i love going there and just connecting with the the people there and it's it's a beautiful thing i feel lucky um that it's become a part of my story as difficult and confusing as it's been um it's i wouldn't i wouldn't trade it sure for anything yeah, yeah it's such a unique thing it's more interesting than what most artists experience, mm, mm-hmm. you know, um, as such a, such an interesting dynamic that you've got doing that. And, um, I'm just trying to wrap my head around, you know, what that looks like and how that works because it's so, so unique, uh, in, in the way that you've experienced that. So I know that, so earlier you were saying that you were having such a, you, you kind of this division of, man, it's great. I got all these numbers over there, but and all the, you know, all these, all these listeners now, but I'm not really making any money from it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. So since that, now that you've, you're an established artist in that country, mm-hmm. um, and you've got the platforms over there to put music out now, nowadays do, are you seeing income from that? Like, yes. is that, has that kind of remedied itself to some degree? Yes. Okay. And that's good. You know, what they, what they pay, like their, their streaming payouts are still nothing like, even the the U.S. platforms. Well, the U.S. is nothing. Exactly. So it's, <laughs> it's like, like fractions of fractions that. of nothing, right? Uh-huh. So even <laughs> if you get, you know, I mean, at this point, I think, you know, I'm over like 300 million plays over there, but that doesn't equate to the ro- the revenue that it would here. Yeah. So it's not like a perfect. Sure. Uh, but at the same time, I have a, a much better relationship with these Chinese streaming companies, and there's some. Um, people over there there's a guy named matthew daniel who is works he's the vp of netties and he's doing a really good job like trying to legitimize these things like um and you know legitimize relationships with western indie artists that have had this similar things happen there's a few other people kind of like me that okay indie artists here but then yeah. had this popular song in china and so it feels like it's going in a good direction um so i where it is now is certainly better than where it was when this first happened to me. And so that is encouraging. I think it's it's getting better and better. I really feel the most, you know, I, I was touring there. My last tour was in 2019, right before the pandemic. And um, that when I go there and, you know, do the tours and put more music out, it I can start to feel some of the positive effects from it and stuff. So it's getting better and better. Um, but as I said, I'm still trying to, I'm learning how to maximize it in real time mm-hmm. because it's such a new and like wild thing. Um, and so, but yeah, I'd say it's, it's, 
it's it's going well and getting better and better and i'm yeah when, grateful when you're touring over there um you know, so bob helped you with the first one is he does he still kind of book you now for all that not stuff? anymore just the the first two that we did okay he helped so me are you do, booking your own tours now or does someone else do that for you uh well the last the last go you know obviously i haven't been there since 2019 just right through sure. global circumstances yeah. but um I, I worked with a guy a, a mutual friend of ours charles soros oh he, yeah he charles. helped me in, in the states to, right. to kind of put that together and then uh there was a company in china that i worked with that was uh, that I hadn't worked before, worked with before, and they were awesome. They were very professional, and so my my 2019 tour was a a, a great experience and just a little less um, sort of thrown together than the first. Now the first two were were fun. It was the nature of it was a little scrappy and it was it was great. You sure. Know? But um, the third one was a little more legitimate, and I, so I hope the next time I go back, whenever that becomes possible. Um, that that'll continue to be the case, and it's a building thing. I, I, it's it's that's how I, I look at it. Like mm-hmm. each one, I'm I'm hoping is just getting a little better and a little more um, le- legitimized than than the previous ones. The first time was like I just showed up and we booked a few gigs at these random. It was like some clubs and then a university and then like and um, and just gauging is mm-hmm. anyone gonna show up? I don't know. Yeah. You know. Um, but the the thing you know, and for anybody listening, like the, um, I guess there's a lot there's a lot I've learned about just being okay with 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 where you're at, and and if, when you have those gigs where it's like you, sometimes that expectation we have we set things up like is what cr- fosters that disappointment in us if we're expecting things to just be amazing right away or or just like be okay with the the building aspect of it and and valuing it that's what i've kind of learned um on those first couple tours i think i once i realized i i had a big song in china i didn't i think i, I built up some of the expectation of what that was going to feel like and it mm. was totally different every step of the way than how you would think sure and um so just being open and flexible enough to just value what you're seeing happen in front of you if something is going on and just kind of going with it and riding those waves without thinking uh, it should be like this or it was like this in my mind and this is different. Yeah. Just, you know, let it, go of that. It's rarely what you think it's going to be in your mind. Totally. <laughs> or, <Yeah. laughs> no, no matter where you – China doesn't matter. Um, you know, anywhere you go when you're trying to do this as a – as an artist and especially the touring life, um, it never hardly ever turns out the way that you think it's going mm, to. Right. You know, yeah. and most of the time it ends up being a better thing than you thought it would be. Um, sometimes it's worse, but rarely is it exactly what you thought mm-hmm. regardless of if it's good or bad, you know? Right. Um, I always had these things. I don't know if you do this or people listening, if you guys do this, but I picture some experience or some, uh, a place like I'm going to go to this place that I've got coming up and I think of what it looks like in my head, in my mind, what I, I picture what it is. And then when I get there, it's like completely different. Mm-hmm. I was like, that is not what I was expecting. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's way cooler usually, mm-hmm. but it's never what I thought it was going to be hardly, you know, and that's right. just a, for whatever reason, that's what we do as people. Um, let's talk a, a little bit about producing because you produce, indie artists uh, a lot and you've worked with uh, centricity music mm-hmm. right yeah which uh, my friend our, our friend chad segura 
a mutual friend has been on the show uh, to talk about publishing and different things like that uh, a couple seasons back. Um, and then you, you said that you've produced for Phil, Joel, a little bit. And so let's talk about that for a minute because at 19-ish, you're, you're starting out as a songwriter and you're starting to write with Roger, right? Mm-hmm. And you weren't really, you said you had produced a, um, you had produced a demo, Right, but yeah, wasn't that wasn't that great? No. But just something to kind of get started. Right. So once you're riding with Roger, at what point do you feel like okay, I'm going to start producing? And when do you feel like okay, I'm becoming, I'm starting to understand what producing is, and I'm getting better at it to the point that I'm going to start producing other artists, and then and then on top of that, how do you go about getting artists to to find you to want to have them have you produce them yeah well early on i was working with several different producers just trying just learning and um you know working on my artist stuff because i didn't have the means to record myself at the very beginning yeah but some of those um experiences of working with those other you know successful producers you know you you absorb and learn and watch um and so eventually i felt just enough confidence that maybe i can I at least want to get my own setup, like just get an interface and a DAW and the monitors and just like, just start experimenting. Uh, Cause before that I was just putting little ideas down on like garage band on a laptop Yeah. and actually sleepyhead. I, I started that way. I put down the ideas there. So it, you know, it started out really modest, but my first studio was at my um, mom and stepdad's house. And it was like a, like a downstairs room that they let me use and so i just it was modest and i started producing my own stuff and feeling just learning that way kind of um you know mostly with my own stuff but then i had a few buddies that were in similar stages and maybe didn't have the budgets to hire bigger producers but had heard some things i'd i'd done and knew me as a musician had enough trust that they felt like hey you know could I record some of my stuff with you? And um, there was uh, that happened pretty quickly, actually, as, after me getting a, a just a, a simple setup um, and learning how to how to use it. I had buddies just coming over to record their own stuff, and one thing led to another, and it was it was pretty soon after that that I was recording uh, with Phil and and helping him with with his stuff, and so. Um, yeah, it, it's it's been a pretty organic thing that way. I, I haven't I haven't like advertised or promoted myself as a producer very much. It's all been word of mouth and relationships, mm-hmm. and, as we've talked about. Um, but at this point, most of my time, in all honesty, is is there is is, is, is producing. producing and um and and I love serving. I love being that guy that helps uh, an artist's vision come to life mm-hmm. being an artist myself has really helped me i know how artists think and feel it, in a lot of ways though i think i'm wired more like a producer i have i'm not as um you know a lot of artists are more like i guess emotional or like about which is great because they all that emotion gets channeled into their music i'm a little more of the kind of the sort of conductor yeah, uh, the director on the set, kind of a wiring. Yep, me too. And so, unfortunately for the guys I was in that band with, you know, that I was not fun to be in a band with. I think I was pretty controlling. And yeah, pre- pretty. 
probably bossy with like arrangements because I really cared about that stuff and very perfectionistic sure. with that delivery. Um, but as a producer, it's it's been great. I feel like that's where I've found my my sweet spot, just being in the studio with other creative people. And it's been just a slow, steady build of people. You know, you produce one thing for somebody, it turns out well, it sounds good. Other people hear it. Hey, who who produced that? And you know, and then they 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 come to me, and if it's like a good fit, you know, we do so. And I, I've been working on a lot of different kinds of music too, like. Um, I'd say it's mostly singer-songwriter type stuff, but then lots of Christian music, some country, um, and yeah, it's it's been kind of a wide mm-hmm. a wide uh, range, and um, and I and I love it. That's it's probably my favorite thing to do is be in the studio with other other musicians. Sure, uh, are you working mostly with indie artists? Or are you doing some? Are you doing some labeled artists or kind of a mixture of both? Or what's how does that work for you? Yeah, mixture of both. Um, you had mentioned uh, the Centricity guys. Uh, uh, John Mays is a yeah, good friend. I've worked with him and Matt uh, at Centricity and done some stuff for Word. Predominantly independent artists, though. Okay. Um, those I, I love working with labels and stuff, but you know the um, most of my day to day ends up being those the indie artists that are just it's like the artist and the producer, and you're the ones working on it and. Um, I'd say mostly that's what I've been doing mm-hmm. and um, you know and then producing my my own stuff like I said it kind of it feeds into that um, I don't know just that understanding of of artists and what is most meaningful to them and I've found you know being self-employed that you can definitely be focused on I just want to get the projects and get the you know as many as possible but the real the real substance there is in switching from that like acquiring the projects to being generous to them i think in like in how you serve their vision and feel like wow when i want you know i want artists to feel like when they come to me to in that tender vulnerable place of trying to capture their sound and their songs of like wow i really trust galen like he 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 cares about this and and has the the tools and the ability to to realize this vision and and so having that mindset of um serving artists and caring about them as people i think is an asset when it comes to um like your your career and again not doing that because it helps you get more gigs but because that's right that's part of the integrity of, of the position of a producer i had i had worked with some producers in the beginning of my journey who i've i've it made me feel it was more transactional when i was on the artist side of it where I was just kind of a gig for them, mm-hmm. you know, more or less. And that doesn't, it's not a great feeling as an artist where you're like, they just want to get this done so they can move on to the next thing versus the pr- other producers I'd worked with who I felt v- really valued me and 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 wanted to, um, you know, wanted to work with me based on that that value sure. or whatever. And so that's what I try to, to, to model and, and, um, and, kind of how, how I view artists and how I treat them. Yeah. Um, just, yeah. So when you're, when you're working with an artist, you know, that this is an opportunity for, to give you a plug if you want it. So how many, how much do you typically charge for a project? Like a, a, an acoustic, an acoustic project or maybe a demo versus a full, full band project. You know, if somebody wants to hire you 
to produce their album um, or EP or whatever? Like, how do you have like a specific way that's set up? Yeah, well, it is. The honest answer is it it depends, uh, and I'm sure. I mean, anybody other producers can kind of relate to that somewhat. The what the process will need to be to to realize their vision is different every time. So there is a little bit of fluctuation in rates. If it's like a demo, usually 500 for for a demo. Okay. Um but then so like a, a piano vocal, guitar vocal or um, well, if it's band? just a guitar vocal, I might do a little less than okay. five, 500 is kind of like there's some other elements okay. on there to, to make a good demo. Sure. Um but then for a master, you know, usually 1500 to for like indie, are we are we talking indie artists sure. kind of thing? like yeah. So the, kind of around that range, and then I might mix it too, which would be you know a little more. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, in all honesty, the the mixing process has merged more and more for me. Yeah. With, with the production yeah, process. Yeah, that's the way it is for me too. Uh, yeah. So, and I like that. I find myself just I mix as I go now, um, and so. Yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. It, yeah. it, it really depends. Like sometimes I'll do stuff for less, and sometimes it's more if it if what's required to get that result that's expected is going to require more time and effort for me. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the I'd say the the, the range. average. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a specific genre that you kind of that you lend yourself to more than others that you prefer to to produce if you have the the option? Yeah, probably like the indie pop stuff. Okay. Like indie indie pop singer songwriters, um, and some of that stuff is like Christian indie singer songwriters, mm-hmm. and some of it's just just straight up, you know, yeah, indie singer song. Uh, I love that sort of folky acoustic pop kind of realm. Yeah. Um, that's really where my head is at. That's kind of where your music is. Yeah. To, it's like, to, to some degree, at least. It, sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah, your your music when I've listened to it uh, is very interesting, especially with like you're talking about the sort of the fairy tale aspect of it, uh, the myth and legend type kind of thing. Um, it was really interesting. It reminded me a little bit of Andrew Peterson. Mm. Oh I, yeah, I don't Love know him. if you've been compared to him before. I have heard that, and I I take that as a compliment. Yeah, it's a huge I compliment. I like him a lot. Yeah, because um, he's very very storyteller. Yeah, kind of guy in that sort of realm, and he you know he's an author, and he writes kind of fantasy type stuff as well and yes so uh, that that would make sense to me you know i heard that and i thought yeah i can i could see that sort of being a a cousin <laughs> of sorts to andrew peterson type stuff so I, I appreciate that and yeah i'm working on a new album right now um and it's all my my concept for it is totally this it's like you know you know what a troubadour is you know mm-hmm. the troubadours were in the middle ages they're sure. just like you know traveling musicians and, yeah. and a lot of times they were uh knights as well so they're kind of these warrior poet types and they would sing in the taverns in europe or get hired to perform in the king's court or whatever you know and they would sing these songs about battles and war uh or it would be like romantic poetry and there'd be like allegory in there. It was a certain, it was, it was usually one of, one of those things that they would sing about. And so my vision right now for this new album I'm working on is if you took a troubadour out of the middle ages and put him in 2022, what would he sound like? What would that sound what yeah. would that feel like? Um, and so I do like, it's kind of nerdy, but I do like, that sort of fantasy it's like people that love to read fantasy novels yep uh will like this sure 
and we'll be and we'll get it but it is nerdier than your just typical like pop <laughs> stuff it's a little yeah you know it i i like it because i love to be taken somewhere or, or listen to a song and feel like i just watched a movie or something a real yeah. visual story you know kind of stuff and so that's what i'm what i'm trying to do it's definitely a a, a specific yeah, kind it, of a it's thing. not radio single material not at all not but at it's all. uh it's con- high concept mm. type stuff you sure know, which is cool it's got it's definitely has its place yeah know? so that's really cool um well, man, this has been great getting to know you and, and hear, hear your story. And I appreciate you telling us uh, telling us your story and all this really cool stuff. As we close up, um, is there any? You've been giving some really great advice. But is there any, anything specific that you would share with the audience? You know, people wanting to do um, either as an artist, as a songwriter, um, getting into that, or c- kind of continuing that journey, or um, as a producer. You know, what are some things that you would recommend people do that want to be successful in this, you know, maybe some things yeah. to avoid, maybe, you know, I'd stay away from this, but you might want to kind of go this direction, you know, those types of things. Yeah. Um, I would say don't look to the industry to give you your identity. Mm. Like, so some of you know, gatekeepers on whatever, whatever part of it you're pursuing, don't look to them to give you your identity as if, when you get to a certain mark or a certain opportunity, then you'll have your identity in this sphere. Sure. You you have to have that going in. Absolutely. That's a great. And how you get that, you know, is probably a bigger conversation for another time, but that is a huge factor mm-hmm. in, how, in how you communicate to people, how people end up, you know, just perceiving you and what you're about. Um, Having that identity and security in yourself, and not looking to get it f- from these people that you're going to come, come, you know, the come yeah. into contact with, is huge. Yeah. Um, I would say that, and then from a more practical standpoint, just the um, like diversification of of your of what you do, like spinning a lot of plates, and um, I think is is really good. Uh, f- for me, at least, that's been a that's been a bit pretty good you know part of my own journey and like multiple streams of income multiple streams of income like and if i'm feeling particularly dry for my own artist stuff you know i'm still producing and mixing for other people or i'm writing for other people or if that were to slow down i still have the you know these other aspects of you know and i do session stuff too like people will hire me to play you know, guitar or something on their stuff. And, yeah. uh, so just having different aspects of it, I think is really good being, um, that's just good life advice anyway. Just the diversification of, of skill set mm-hmm. is really good. Um, I would say that, but certainly secondary to the, to the identity piece. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that's such an important thing. And I appreciate you saying that about the knowing who you are going into a situation. Don't mm-hmm. let the gatekeepers quote unquote, tell you who to be right yeah um because they're going to create their own image of what they think that you should be and i think most i think most artists that do that who let someone else kind of create the image of who you are as an artist that's when you end up failing the most Mm -hmm. i think more artists are least less successful going that route um not always but 
you know, I think a large chunk of the time, that's probably the case. Whereas yeah. when you know who you are, you know, who you are as an artist, who you are as a person. Um, and then you walk in and I think, I think that the, the gatekeepers, um, label heads and publishers and everything, if they know, if you know who you are going into those situations, they have more respect for you, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, sure. and, uh, and they'll give you more leeway because they, they can see, oh, okay, this guy or this girl knows what they're about and they know what they want to write about. They know who they are. Um, and I think that there's a stronger relationship that can be built based off of that. Yeah. You know, would you agree with that? Absolutely. That's, that's well put. And, you know, if you think about it, when these relationships come about, there's, there are a lot, it's, it's a lot more positive when the relationships are based in authenticity. Like Mm -hmm. if somebody wants to work with you because Mm -hmm. of something you're doing, something you're bringing to the table, how much better is it if that's because what you're bringing is authentic? It's you're being yourself and the kind of person you want to be rather than somebody wanting to work with you based on a projection or a right. or something you're trying to be but aren't really. Right. You're bringing value to them and what they're trying to accomplish already. Yeah. As opposed to them trying to create value from you. Yeah, exactly. And and then when you get little pieces, little bits of success along the way, if that, sec- if that success is... Um, based in your it's coming out of the natural flow of your identity and who you are it's so much more rewarding than if that success were to come on the heels of just i don't know something that's not authentic um it's just way better your relationships are going to be richer um and uh, i think it's an all-around win you don't and and this this really it's like the college age at least for me when this started to to click college early 20s mm-hmm. kind of in there um and that's kind of what i tell people because they're looking for someone to give them that opportunity or that door that then grants this identity that they can feel secure in and that's sh- that's not how it works you have to get that first and then let your train you know be moving and then as you're going through life you'll have these other people in the industry and friends will come alongside you. And I like what you're doing. I like what you're about. And that's awesome. Yeah. That's, that's a really fun way to, to, to go through it. And yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, man, thank you so much for, uh, for sharing all of this. This has been great. Tell people uh-huh. your website and how they can get in touch with you. If they want to, they want to check out your socials and all that kind of stuff. Where yeah. would they do that? So my name's Galen crew, G A L E N C R E W. I'm on all the socials, Instagram, uh, Facebook, Twitter, all that good stuff. YouTube, Spotify. Um, Over in China. And now in China, uh, NetEase Music. So, yeah, <laughs> check out check out my page on NetEase Music and Weibo, uh, which <laughs> Weibo is kind of like a Chinese version of sort of a Twitter Facebook hybrid, and NetEase Music is like a Spotify YouTube kind of a hybrid. How would you spell um, those? Uh, so NetEase Music is N-E-T-E-A-S-E. Okay. Um, but I think the website is like music.163.com. Okay. And if you go to that and then you can search my name of the time. Now it's all in Chinese, but yeah. you can kind of see like the, you know, the different, it functions similarly sure. to other platforms. But you search my name there, you can see my profile there. And um, yeah, I think uh, that's that's about it. Did I, did I cover all the... I think you got it all. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> well, man, thank you again for being on the show. I appreciate it. Thanks for and, having um, me. Hope you have a great rest of your day. You too. Thanks. Thanks. All right, guys, there you have it. I hope you had a great time listening to our conversation today. 
I hope you take what we've talked about today and find ways to apply it to your career as well. Please be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you listen to it on. And please share it with all of your friends so that we can continue to get this message out to everyone around the world. Remember, Edenbrook Productions is here to help if you need consulting services via phone, Skype, Zoom, or FaceTime. Let us know how we can help you begin to make a living in the music industry.